embodied decolonization work to kind of go back to intentional ritual to do grief work to actually you know live from the neck down (laughs) instead of just from the neck up Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emergent Strategy Podcast, hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, traders, and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today, I will be guiding our interview. I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, our writer in residence. And Just as a reminder, emergent strategy is the way we generate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. I'm really excited today for our guest. I have the honor of talking with Camille Barton, who has developed a grief toolkit and who has scholarship of somatics, which is part of the reason I'm super excited about talking with you and is currently in Amsterdam which is one of my favorite places. And we're going to ask you a lot of different things, Camille, uh, just to get to know you. But is there anything you want to say to bring yourself into this space? How are you doing right now today? It's so lovely to be with you. Today, I am feeling, I think, just content with where things are right now, which is nice (laughs) because that's not where I've been. for the last months um so it's kind of yeah just a moment of respite of like ooh, okay rest is coming soon everything's okay just kind of being with that uh, I really love that and I'm glad rest is coming soon I'm glad that you can say that and feel that you know in the lineage of our work for emergent strategy we really see grief in the context of resilience as one of the ways we are resilient, as one of the ways we transform, as one of the inevitable aspects of being ourselves, being human. And we see the work you do around grief as emergent strategy work. And just wanted to see, does that premise resonate with you? Yeah, it's... um. I feel like all jittery in my body because I'm like, me, really? But like, I feel very inspired by emergent strategy as a practice. And I, yeah, I'm very grateful to be seen as part of that web or part of that kind of rippling out. Yeah. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yay. <laughs> it's always a, a little risk um, <laughs> to be like, we yeah. see it. Do you see it? <laughs> Check yes or no. I think to start out with, one of the things we're really trying to make more visible and make more plain is the lineage that leads us to do the work that we do, right? And I would love for you to share with us some of the most important, impactful parts of your lineage, lineage both as you yourself, like the line of of DNA and everything that you come from, but particularly also your political lineage or the lineage of your work? Mm, I love this question. Thank you. And it's something I'm thinking about a lot and really trying to get better at articulating. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that. 
Um, I'm going to start with like biological ancestors because it just feels appropriate. So I am Yoruba and Guyanese and my father's people are Celtic. And I grew up in the small island <laughs> known as England, responsible for a lot of uh, harm in the world to pretty much all of my ancestors. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, I grew up there. And I grew up in a family that was, I'd say, an activist spiritual family. <laughs> yeah, my parents were kind of uh, what you could call like champagne socialists, maybe. They liked... <laughs> They liked some nice things, but they also were like for the revolution. But by the time I came along and my brothers came along, they were much more kind of in the spiritual activism corner of things. So they were very much like, yeah, meditating and, you know, going within to tap into what's real is what's really going to create the holistic change that we need in the world. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. I like spirituality, but we need to do more for the revolution. <laughs> you know? I just wasn't very happy with this kind of just meditate every day and that's really the transformation I'm like how about using your spiritual practice to then give you more space to change the material conditions like can't we have both and so this was a big debate in my household growing up but when my mom was young she was militant socialist and my grandmother her mother um, Sybil uh, spent a lot of her work kind of doing uh, anti-racism interventions and education in the UK and kind of introducing um, multiracial education so there's definitely like a line of that kind of work in my family and yeah growing up I was doing a lot of work around kind of gay rights and gender liberation and lots of Palestinian solidarity organizing in my teens and into university I also got interested in drug policy and harm reduction from an early age because I was yeah self-medicating a lot to work through my drama and um seeing a lot of people around me doing that and seeing a lot of messiness and I think I became one of these people before I even knew what harm reduction was that was like you know being the trip sitter or like helping the person who was like passed out at the rave or you know and this just became something I was kind of doing and that's yeah definitely been a, a strong point of connection for me and then yeah I would say black feminism is a huge a huge piece of it for me and yeah, just having like Angela Davis books lying around the house growing up and like reading Toni Morrison. And, you know, this was uh, very much part of the fabric of my family, but intensified when I uh, moved to the, the States. I was living in the Bay Area from 2014 to 16 kind of hopping back and forth from 2012 and so at this movement, this moment, the movement for Black Lives was really like yeah having this beautiful opening expansion moment and so much of the activism I was seeing was just kind of what I was craving in a UK context and didn't really exist there yet and so that really was very uh, pivotal for me in seeing like what healing justice could look like and seeing the attention and the focus being given to that within this very powerful moment of resistance but also regenerative culture that was happening within that moment of resistance and living in the bay was also where I uh, came across yeah somatics for the first time I was like what's what's this now okay <laughs> it's like I mm, okay and sort of forms of radical peer counseling. Like I was involved in the reevaluation counseling community for a long time and that started there. And 
becoming aware of the work that organizations like Surge were doing too, thinking about different roles that white people could really play in the movement by tapping into the emotional and the trauma piece. And um, so it was just a very formative time for me living in the Bay. When I came back to Europe, I felt this uh, this sadness and this kind of void and maybe grief that I'm still navigating, having found so many of my people and these kindred spirits and then finding myself back in Europe where there's a lot of lovely things here, but there's not that kind of uh, that richness yet with that kind of activism or that work happening. And so I, yeah, tried to find more people who wanted to kind of have this healing justice kind of entangled approach to social change. And um, I set up a, a business doing a kind of embodied anti-racism consultancy and training um, for a bunch of years called the Collective Liberation Project. And that was very much informed by the work I was seeing in the Bay. And, and what else? More recently, the Resilience Toolkit has become like my kind of core somatic practice and learning from Enkem and Defo, who is just, yeah, a really incredible human being. And yeah, kind of being mentored by more and more elders in the drug policy space, uh, like Neve Eastwood at Release is a really important person um, to me. And yeah, I'm probably forgetting loads of people. I feel like I've been speaking for a long time. Um, <laughs> of course, also your work, Adrian, has just really, and the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute has really been a very, yeah, anchoring, like validating compass in a way of feeling like, oh, it's not just me. This is a thing. <laughs> These things can connect and they are the same. Absolutely. This is a big thing. <laughs> well, it's so beautiful as you're weaving your story because I can see all the points of weaving together. You know, like our, we have very parallel interests and <laughs> lives. So I'm like, of course, you know, I'm like, of course the work is going to resonate with you because I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's informed by harm reduction. It's informed by somatics. It's informed by grief work. And I'm really grateful to be in there too. And Generally, we ask people what their practices are. So I want to ask you that too. It's just like, what do you feel like you're practicing right now? Like, where do you see emergent strategy mm. throw, show up in those practices currently? And we have a specific question about the grief toolkit, but if you want to go ahead and start sharing about that, mm. the resilience toolkit, if you want to start sharing about that, then feel cool. free to Thank you. That. Yeah, I feel very aware of what I'm practicing and not practicing right now. <laughs> There's lots of things <laughs> that are on my list and not necessarily always happening every day. So I'm noticing that. But at the moment, I've just kind of, in a way, come home to the meditation practice that my parents were doing when I was growing up. I resisted it for many years. My rebellion was to look and do other forms of meditation. And now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm in it. I just love that so much that it's like, oh, are y'all sitting? Are you meditating? I will not be doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will rebel and I will think and do and run around. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I've kind of, I've, I've been doing that now kind of an hour every day and that's to be able to practice on that level and like really commit to it. I'm noticing it's just taking a lot of capacity. So other things are yeah, kind of in flux, but it is definitely giving me a lot of grounding and yeah, so I'm appreciating that. Um, I do practice the resilience toolkit every day, and I love NCHEM's framing around alchemical resilience and really 
seeing embodiment work as something that's not just around like us healing as an individual, but really about creating more capacity or space to change the material conditions that create suffering and create trauma. And so I feel like as well as noticing my nervous system changing and cultivating more safety, noticing what that might mean for me and my body, I also see that as a way I can be more spacious and present with my community and with things that are coming up day to day. And what does it mean to practice a toolkit? Mm. Specifically with the Resilience Toolkit, it's a set of body practices, sometimes connecting to the body with hands, sometimes using breath, sometimes kind of circling on, say, the heels and toes and just working with spirals sometimes with the intention of noticing if there's a kind of shift towards relaxation in the body and tracking what those signals are. So some of those signals for me are like my belly relaxing, uh, more sensation coming into the back of my body or in the lower parts of my body, which tend to kind of numb out if I'm feeling more stressed. Also noticing my thoughts kind of becoming less intense and fast paced. So those are some of my settling signs, but the whole toolkit is really based around cultivating a sense of what that looks like in each of our bodies because it may be different for different people and I think something that troubles me a little bit with the somatic space right now is it's often kind of being geared as you know everyone's just relax all the time you should just relax (laughs) it's so funny like in the somatics lineage that I'm in one of the things that we kind of evolved in the centering practice was like we don't center to feel calm or relaxed we center to feel more. Mm. And we had to say that because it was so, one of the things we're socialized is like, you're either high stress, high anxiety, high go, or you're just relaxed. Mm-hmm. And that that's the full emotional range and not mm. understanding that it's like, you can be very relaxed and grieving. You can be relaxed and excited about what's happening. But I remember getting that teaching when I was learning how to lead the centering practice, they were like, Adrian, you've got so much aliveness, but when it comes to centering, you're like, okay, now let's drop it. It's just like, it's not about being relaxed. It's about feeling the full range, being with the full range of emotion. Wow. I love that. Mm. Is the toolkit still developing? Like, are you finding new practices to add to it? Yeah. I kind of noticed that when I was doing the certification, I started to like, weave them together and maybe do two at a time and now there's like other things I notice maybe can just bring me back into my body in times of need and I feel like it is definitely an ongoing lovely learning so I'm I'm very grateful for finding it because I was wanting to somatic somatic experiencing for a long time but the price was pretty prohibitive for me and when I was speaking to people involved in it the feedback I was getting as as a community, they weren't as open to really thinking about how this relates for Black people or for people who experience marginalization of various shades. And I really found that with the Resilience Toolkit, there was space and kind of thinking, really flexible thinking around, oh yeah, what? how does this link to appeasement or how we might have to keep ourselves safe sometimes and what's happening on our nervous systems when we do that and really understanding how this kind of relates. And it just felt, oh yeah, I see myself in this. I'm a keeper of the
I love that. I have a two-part question, I think. The first is just curiosity of how did you come across the Resilience Toolkit? Like, you know, what was the journey of, of that piece? And then I think the second question is, you know, we're living in such a overwhelmed world. You know, there's so much heartbreak, so much grief, and we know more about it than we've ever known. You know, like we're tied in, we see the updates like in real time or it feels like in real time. Mm. So how do you invite other people towards these practices of resilience and towards facing their grief, given how overwhelmed and and hard things already are? Mm. Thank you for the questions. If I sort of track the, the journey to finding it, I suppose the first piece was I met NCAM online. Uh, in a group that had been set up by Nicole Bindler, who was one of the first people I came across who was really like weaving somatics and social justice together. Like I knew about generative somatics and was like, ooh, one day. But when I was kind of frantically Googling for years, like where can I learn more about this intersection and how to practice it? Um, At the time, Nicole had uh, put together a program that was going to be happening in Philadelphia over two summers. And so we became into conversation at that time. And um down the line, Nicole had set up a group for folks working with somatics and social justice. And so that's when I met NCAM and found out about, yeah, the whole practice. And it just kind of went from there. So thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, NCAM. And uh, I think last year I was at Body IQ Festival, which is like this kind of somatics festival in Berlin. And I'd really want to present. It didn't really work out that year, but um, there was something that happened in a workshop and yeah, in the end, they kind of were asking me to like speak on the plenary with like Gray Johnson and some other people about the need to kind of take a social approach with this work and could really feel the tension where a lot of people were like, what do you mean? We're all one. And it's like, yes, we are. And also in the material reality, <laughs> there are these. We're having a myriad of experiences, just in the same way the foot has a very different experience mm-hmm. of the cheekbones. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it really felt like this oh moment. So the festival just happened again last weekend. I was presenting this time, which was nice, but online from Amsterdam because I felt pretty exhausted. So I just said, I need to stay here. But I see there's a lot more happening already and thinking around social change and somatics. So I'm hopeful that in the European context, this is really moving a little bit more. Yeah, I'm glad about that too. Because it feels like one of those things that, it's hard not to bottleneck in a way because it's like mm-hmm. it takes a long time and a lot of practice to awaken and begin to know what you're feeling, <laughs> you know, like, what is this? So in that way, it's like, oh, you want mm-hmm. a dedicated, loyal learning environment, you know, mm-hmm. that lasts for a while, mm-hmm. but you also need it to be as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. And I feel like that juxtaposition creates a bottleneck very quickly so I'm grateful for the work that you and others are Mm. doing to like open that space up you know Mm, thank you but how do you yeah how do you invite others into that space like what's your practice of inviting others to work on their grief be with their resilience Mm, I think for me like maybe like many of us, I'm a bit of a nerd around colonization and exactly what that's entailed, not just like these as historical events, but as process and as kind of ongoing legacies that really shape 
how we behave and how our bodies interact with other bodies. And so for me, it's really, I know it's overused now as a term, but it's really like decolonization, embodied decolonization work to kind of go back to intentional ritual, to do grief work, to actually, you know, live from the neck down (laughs) instead of just from the neck up and start to, as you were saying, like just be with what's happening, actually being with it. And I know that for me, even though I've been doing this for a few years now, I still find it difficult to fully be with my my environmental grief all of the time. It's like I have moments where I'm like, oh, wow, it's there. And then like I'm back in dissociation or busyness, you know, around like productivity or whatever. Um, so I feel. Yeah, that one's a big one. That's hard to it's hard to navigate it. You know, I get that feeling where I'm like, oh, if I really turn and look at that, I will be so overwhelmed. I won't be able to function. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like it's not the only grief that's that scale. Yeah, totally. It's really huge. And I feel, you know, there's not many spaces in our society that kind of allow for us to be with these big, inconvenient, non-productive emotions. And so as my friend Fazana Khan would say, I think it's about titration. Like we have to really learn to like titrate the feelings, to be with them a little bit more, a little bit more, and seeing that as part of repatterning. Uh, moving away from this kind of colonial logic that's really embedded embedded and kind of embodied in I think most of us so that's kind of my my reasoning for it and um, also just aliveness you know I think it's a hard time in many ways to be a human but yes I was like understatement yes (laughs) (laughs) one question I have here is what have you seen change in yourself in terms of what you're able to feel, and how grief moves in your life. Mm. What I'm able to feel. I suppose what I notice is that my pace has really slowed down with the grief work. I'm not a fan of pathologizing generally, but for lack of better terms, I think for a lot of my life, I had this quite manic energy where I was really restless and moving from here to there and like, bam, 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 bam. And part of that was, you know, a lot of sexual trauma that at that time I didn't remember and just trying to find ways to not really be with what was happening in my body and to be useful, to feel validated, to feel a sense of belonging and all this like outward work. And the more I've been in a grief space, And tuning into that, I see it as a slowing and a noticing of what's going on. And I can feel the impulse, that kind of condition tendency, I guess, as Stacey would say, like, you know, to go back into the racing, to overwork, to do this, to do that. But I now see it as a dynamic and I couldn't see it before. I just was in it. There wasn't a choice. It was just that was it. So I think that's the biggest thing. And as a result, having a little bit more capacity to really choose to be a responsive rather than reactive. And I still have resistance to grieving. I'm not going to lie. It's a thing. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, it's awful. <laughs> I feel like I really appreciate that too, because this idea that I think maybe this will resonate with you that I feel like when I was getting politicized, you know, the idea was like, we are going to do something and it's going to change everything. And it's going to be massive and kind of, it's just going to all happen at once, you know, like the revolution. And I feel like somatic practice tied in with social justice mm-hmm. has really transformed that journey, you know, for me is that I'm like, oh, 
being able to feel leads to choice, which leads to a freedom. You know, it's that like I can choose how to show up inside of this life, which has specific context based on so many moving factors. But what what it does not have is monolithic contexts. Like it's like actually all the monolithic constructs we've been given for who we're supposed to be Mm. fall apart over the course of a lifetime in many ways, because, you know, that we're all one is like, we're all having a human experience inside of which there's a lot of suffering, much of which you can't see. But if you can feel even what you can't see, if you can feel it, you have agency. And as soon as you have that agency, you can, you can make a lot of choices, small and very, very large. So I'm glad that you're in that work. It's good to be in it with you. A question I have for you around somatics is what do you feel like is possible at the intersection of somatics and art? Because I feel like you use somatics creatively, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. In my personal practice, I feel it can be a way to deepen attention and to notice like, oh, how is this impacting me? Where is this hitting? What does it connect to in my body or in my story, in my family line? And I feel like the symbolic power of art and that that impact can be just transmitted and really felt on a deeper level when we bring in the body in a in a deliberate way. And I feel I don't know, really torn a lot of the time with the art world because now I guess I'm sort of in it but I feel a bit of an outsider in a way because to me art is not a luxury or shouldn't be a luxury but in commodified capitalism world it's definitely seen as a luxury and I feel like a lot of the western art world is very much about deciphering codes you know knowing the names of all these people knowing the theory and being able to kind of play the game of oh yeah we're so intelligent we super super get this or we see the references Whereas a lot of traditional cultures or indigenous peoples, art is around like belonging and reinforcing cosmology and a sense of knowing and relationship. And that's kind of what I want from art. But I feel like I'm trying to hold that in a space that's still moving in this really heady, disembodied way. And so it sometimes feels a bit bit yucky. Yeah, that makes a lot of, I mean, that really resonates for me. Like, this idea that the art can actually guide people towards a worldview, right? And that art is always guiding people towards a worldview, <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. the idea that it can plant something in people that makes them feel more belonging or more like themselves. I'm like, good, <laughs> keep going that way. <laughs> it is hard though. I mean, I feel like in every single system, you know, everyone we bring on to interview, everyone we talk to, it's like in every system, there's, capitalism and then trying to move past it, move beyond it. There's colonialism and trying to decolonize these systems, you know. As a creator, you know, you're able to create from what you're feeling. And as a griever, you're able to create from your grief. Within movement work, success, you know, this idea of like we've won victory, success is often defined through structural change, laws, freedom of physical movement. And I would love to hear you talk about transformation, like the success or the victory or the, you know, how do people know that something has happened? How do they know that something has transformed? How do people know something is transformed? The first thing that comes to mind 
is, I think, something that I've heard you speak about a lot around what does it mean to be satisfied? That's right. Satisfiability, baby. I think about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Truly, because it's still something I struggle with. You know, like, what is satisfaction? The The thing I've been feeling recently is if I can really feel something fully and be with it and as present with it as possible, then that can sometimes feel like, at least now, feel like satisfaction to me. It's my current answer. I'm sure it will change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a thing. It's like, how do we cultivate a collective sense of satisfaction? You know, I think a lot of times, at least the way I came up in movement, is we were trying to generate a collective sense of dissatisfaction. Like it was like, or a collective understanding that like what you're feeling, that dissatisfaction is collective because mm. it's structural and systemic. <laughs> mm. And then it's like, okay, then how do we learn together to feel satisfied? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do you feel like that's something that you're in practice of? Or like, is there a satisfying grief? Yeah, I feel like the transformation for me is around the satisfaction piece and being able to notice, like, what are we really moving towards? Like, what's what's a, an accessible goal, maybe? Not knowing that it's the goal, but like the next step, or also, as you say, the most elegant next step. Like, how do we just shuffle a little bit in the direction we want to go and really feel like, yes, we've done that, we're present with it, and now we can respond, where next? what next and that's an energy I really crave a lot in movement space and I haven't often found in movement space because it often didn't feel like there was permission to really be satisfied with any win or even to feel joy or pleasure like until the revolution comes and like I'm not gonna wait for that (laughs) actually No, I really appreciate that actually, like the, that idea of like, oh, we're fighting for something that we'll never experience, but someone will experience, you know, when I was younger, that was, that satisfied me. I was like, okay, that's what we're up to. And then as I get older, I'm like, oh no, it's both and like, it's both and it's both. Mm -hmm. We want to create something for people that we'll never meet. We want to leave something beautiful for those who, who are coming after us, but also in this life. We want to feel the miraculous, you know, and Mm. you can't sustain that like constantly, like I'm just in a miraculous state, you know, but there is something around being able to access the miraculous, access the ecstatic from grounded, centered place. You know, it's like, I, I know where I am in it all. What's emerging for you now? What feels like the next experiment or what's coming onto your horizon? Mm. Well, I've started a a journey that I've been on on my own for a while, but now is like with a group of 12 people. I'm yeah running a program called Ecologies of Transformation, and we're researching how art making and embodiment can create social change. And it's very interdisciplinary, very experimental. I don't know where it's going to go, um, <laughs> which is exciting. Um, and yeah, so that's that's a joy and something I'm still adjusting to. This like new responsibility and 
really allowing it to emerge and trusting it will move as it needs to. And um, and what's like if we were a fly on the wall, like what happens when the 12 of you come together? This first term, because it started in September, has really been very much focused on nervous system work. So introducing the resilience toolkit, um, learning about some other kind of approaches to the stress response, learning some kind of key building blocks of embodied social justice and really orienting to the moment that we're in, um, some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, uh, thinking about conflict and loving justice. Kai Cheng Tom's been doing some work with the cohort on that. Also thinking about the role of the artist as an agent of transformation. So like, what would it look like to really be engaged in in the arts in a way that was about, you know, it's like Tony Kade Bambara would say, making the, you know, revolution irresistible. Like, how do we do that? And so it's just kind of been the foundation for trying to set up that journey that we're going to be on for the next couple of years. Yeah. Beautiful. And is there a commitment? Is it sort of like, okay, we're committing to be together for three years or five years or something and seeing what happens, what emerges from us during that? That's such a beautiful question. I mean, the cohort feel very connected already. And I think they're already speaking a lot to each other about like, how do we grow this? How do we be an ecosystem together and thankfully a lot of them are already most of them are already rooted in the Netherlands and I'm from what I can see now planning to be here for the foreseeable future so I think there will be scope to continue growing together and iterating yeah that's so exciting I'm excited for y'all I'm excited to see what comes forth what emerges we often think about what are the great questions, like what are the questions we're in right now? Like what are the questions that are guiding this time? My mentor, Grace Lee Boggs, would always ask the question, what time is it on the clock of the universe? And, you know, a good question can kind of change your day, change your life. So what feels like the most resident question for you right now? What is a question that is kind of guiding your work, your play, your thoughts? I feel like I'm just like quoting a lot of people today. So I'm <laughs> like kind of laughing at myself a bit, but it's, it's genuinely. Great. There's a lot of wisdom <laughs> in the world. It's true. It's what I have on my wall right now. And I'm thinking about it a lot. And it's Prentice Hempel would say, I've heard Prentice say, um, to question like, how am I embodying interdependence? I think about that a lot because I have all these desires to be in community. And in many ways, I am part of community or communities whatever that means. But I feel like the rituals of my day, the ways I interact in my daily life are still very individualistic for the most part. And I'm not really satisfied with this. And I'm really sitting with how to pivot and what long-term structures, living and or working arrangements would really allow me to be with people more and to actually practice being in community because the longing is there. And I think it's a longing that maybe lots of people have, but I know the gap between that longing and fulfillment is really, okay, what has to change in the routine and the practice. So I'm kind of feeling into that a lot right now and thinking about worker cooperatives and community land trusts and trying to, yeah, up my skills around that and dream some things into being hopefully. Yeah. I really like, I love the framing of that. It's like, just, I'm not satisfied with the level of individualism. (laughs) It's still guiding my life. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't acknowledge that, you know, that it's actually vulnerable and brave to acknowledge that. That's just like, 
here's my values. And then over here is my practice. And, you know, if we're not intentional, it just ends up there, right? Like everything about our societal structure is towards individualism. So I think what you're naming here of like, we have to be proactive if we want our lives to align with our values and what we espouse, you know, that's the sacred work. (laughs) And I think it's much harder, Mm. you know, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like an embodied movement is what we need. And it's very different from a theoretical movement. You know, you need all the parts, but I do think there's something around being able to feel our way through and feel ourselves changing. Mm. That's really important. So I'm really grateful that we got Mm. to spend time together today. Thank you for Camille for sharing your miraculous time with us. You know, you could have been a lot of places during this moment together. So thank you. Mm, It's been such a pleasure. This podcast is produced by Natalie Parrott. Music for the Emergent Strategy Podcast is provided by Hooray for the Riffraff and their album Life on Earth. You know they call me the Night Queen. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at www.alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.